We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host, Nick Filato. Tonight, we're here to break down the dreaded all 22 film against the Chicago bears. It's a 29 to 22 beat down by the bears. Oh my God. This was ugly. This was probably, I mean, like I won't say it's like the worst film I watched because like at times it felt like the worst film I was watching was the Rams this year. It's because the giants were trying to pass the football and they were doing so poorly doing it. This game was, I mean, it went by pretty fast. It was mostly run plays from the giants. Even when they found themselves down 20 points, like three scores, the giants were running the ball. Every almost every play down three scores. It was almost like they wanted the game to be over with. I don't think that's actually what happened. I think they just have such a lack of confidence in their passing game right now and their ability to generate anything in the passing game that they're just like, maybe we can, I don't know, get one touchdown running the ball. But no, there was no touchdowns to be had for this Giants team. So I guess my main takeaway was, Nick, as I watch this game, and I think three of the first five plays or three, that was two of the first five plays were wildcat plays by the giants, which I somewhat called for, but I kind of wanted them to be Kadarius Tony who was injured. So he could maybe throw the ball. This was just Barkley running the cat. Uh, when I saw that, I was like, this is going to be what this game is going to be on film. And so I guess my main takeaway was the giants tried. They ran the ball with some consistency out of some serious, and we'll go over this some tight, heavy personnel packages. Um, so my, me t- main takeaway was the if you're looking for a positive, this is one of the better games from Saquon Barkley in a really long time. He fought for tough yardage. He had a couple. He had a couple runs that should have been negative runs. That he turned into positive ones. One for eight. One for six that I have in my notes. So that's probably my best takeaway. Saquon Barkley, probably in my opinion, the best game of the season for him. I would 100 percent agree, Dan. To be honest, to Saquon Barkley, to me, there were several runs on film where he legit maximized the run where it did not seem like he should hit that hole. There was nothing there. He anticipated that there would be a block. The block happened. And then he picked up the yardage that was necessary. And that wasn't necessarily there before he made that decision. So I really liked what I saw from Saquon Barkley. And there's something that I, uh, 
I think I might have saw it on Twitter. And then as I watched this game, it, it got me thinking a little bit. With this Giants game plan that we're going to go over here in a little bit, would it actually be more conducive to success to actually have Saquon Barkley as your quarterback? And I know how stupid that sounds, but like literally, like pitch that out there. Like what advantage is Mike Glennon actually giving this team right now? It's a funny thing to think about. And I, I pitched it last week with Kadarius Tony, kind of just running the cat with Barkley, but obviously Tony's hurt again. This guy's just been hurt all year with like five different ailments. It's starting to bother the hell out of me. If I'm going to be completely honest, it's kind of one of the pitfalls of taking these skill guys. And I'll be honest. Another thing I want to get your take on in a little bit was Kenny Galladay on film. Cause you know, I like to focus on like one or two guys on film every week. Uh, kind of when I do the watch and I rewatch and I try to kind of zone in, man, his routes, they're just, there just doesn't seem to be pop in them right now. It just doesn't seem like he's running crisp routes. Doesn't seem like he's running any kind of with any kind of pop. I don't know how else to explain it other than that. Like this is not the guy I saw when we watched the Detroit film. And I'm maybe it's because he's playing in a dome a lot more confident. And in my opinion, it's probably has to do with the health, but you know, if you don't have Galladay running these routes, well, if you don't have Tony on the field and you don't have Shepard on the field, you're probably not going to get to see the Mike Glennon of Dallas Cowboys in Dallas early this year. Obviously not the second one, but the first one, Mike Glennon, when he had to come in for Daniel Jones, he actually moved the ball in some ways. I mean, if you just look at the film better than Jones, oh no, I hate to say it. Yeah, it's actually true. Go watch that Dallas tape. He hit a lot of passes in that game for big gainers. And that Glennon seems to be gone, especially with the receivers that are left and the injuries to these players. Um, I don't think the lines changed all that much since that game, but the quarterback's confidence has certainly changed and you can see it on the field. So to answer your question, Nick, even without Tony running the cat. Yeah. I think at this point, like I'm just going to go to from this week, Glennon's on the IR, but I think at this point, you're right, man. I think they could probably maximize their yardage better with a running back playing quarterback. As crazy as it sounds. Go, go full Tony Sperano, man. Just wildcat it up. Like it's, what was that, 2007 or whatever year that was back in the day with the Miami Dolphins. I, I don't know, man. I, I was impressed with Saquon Barkley, but I have to say this, too, about just the overall Giants game plan. Dude, on, on tape, it was evident that Joe Judge was not lying in his post-game presser when he said the game plan was to run the football, and it wasn't just because the first play was an absolute disaster, which we'll go over here in a little bit, because, damn, they, they threw the kitchen sink at the Bears in terms of running the ball. It wasn't like two or three different running concepts, man. They had so many different running concepts. They had GH counter, counter from offset I, I formation counter. They had wildcat counter with jet motion with his own read element. They had jumbo counter with seven offensive linemen out there. They utilized trap, duo, inside zone, split zone, uh, counter with the backside guard pulling. They had uh, the wildcat ISO runs. They, they, they did so many different types of running concepts. It was evident that they definitely prepared for that throughout the, uh, throughout the week to to uh, face the Chicago Bears in this matchup. And, it, I mean, they actually ran the ball pretty well, to be honest, even though the the Bears were fully aware that they were running the ball. Like, they were loading the box. And I felt like the Giants were able to generate some push up front outside of when Hakeem Hicks was uh, aligned against Wes Martin. That was never really uh, fun to watch on film because Hakeem Hicks is one of the best run defenders in the league. And Wes Martin is not necessarily somebody who should be starting in the NFL right now. But uh, <laughs> I, I was uh, I was impressed, though, at uh, Saquon Barkley's decisiveness, his patience, and his ability to read his blocks. And with the Giants' just overall ability to have a bunch of different run plays in their playbook because they did not want to throw the football up in Chicago at Soldier Field. 
they did have a lot of different unique run plays. There was a play we'll get to later where I thought Bredesen and Soldier did a great job of. I put it on Twitter. Really liked what I saw in general from Bredesen, so I want to get your take on that too. I don't want to miss uh, talking about both Bredesen and Galladay, so I do want to get your takes on both. Before we get to that, I want to touch a little bit more on Barkley because you're right. It was a new level. I I really felt like this was his best game, and I don't know if it was because he was motivated being back against Chicago, hearing all the doubters, or because they were so committed to the run it actually helped him. But like you said, he was more patient. He was more decisive in his running. He created a few plays that were just completely stopped up with just vintage Barkley, like cuts, spins back into the middle. It was almost like I was watching the 2018 version. Of course, it didn't have the breakaway speed, the breakaway Barkley that he was in the past. Um, And I think, to be honest with you, I think he's playing hurt. I mean, he came out of the game after the first drive was obviously the Glennon fumble, which we'll talk about in a second, but. He came out right after making an eight-yard run in the second drive, the first play, the second drive. And, you know, it just seems to me, based on just watching his body language after getting off the field, calling to be off the field, and based on what he and Judge have hinted in the past in pressers, it seems to me that he's playing hurt right now. And he's not the only one. Like, I really do feel like Galladay is playing hurt right now. Just you look at that third and two interception on that second drive, Galladay just gets no separation there. And he just doesn't look, like he has juice. Um, so let me ask you two things. Let me first start my Nick by asking you about Barkley. Cause there's been a lot of talk about the giants and how they should trade Barkley this off season. And I think most people would be surprised to find. And for those of you who follow me on Twitter, you saw it. And I know I got a lot of surprising feedback from people who are like, really, Dan, this is not what I expect from you. Me to say, I want them to keep Barkley. I don't want them to trade him this off season for what will likely be at best a mid round pick. That's a third or fourth round pick. For a multitude of reasons. The first being, if he is good next year, or if the Giants do improve at all on the offensive line, at quarterback, or if Jones gets better, or at receiver, they stay healthy, it opens up the run game, whatever it may be. Plus, they have an easy schedule, by the way. AFC South and NFC North, as good as it gets. Whatever it may be, they could probably get that or more at the trade deadline for Barkley. So I don't see the value in that. But I also just think he can be an asset on this team. I know he costs a decent cap number. I get it. But they don't really have to worry about that in my mind right now because they can, they're can they already doing numbers with this cap. They're pushing a lot of it back. They're going to cut some guys. They're going to get some cap back for Solder, Shepard, players like that. They're going to be up against the cap regardless. Clearing that cap space doesn't do it for me. And getting that fourth rounder now versus at the trade line deadline for per se doesn't do it for me either. I'd rather see him on the field if they can potentially – you know, take a step forward against an easy schedule next year. I think he can be one of their better players. So where are you at on Barkley? Are you trying to trade him this offseason to get rid of that cap hit and to um, kind of get a mid-round pick maybe for this draft? What's going on, everyone? Football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the Internet to find Giants tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as you go to find NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge. Aren't those terrible? Which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's a pretty good deal. If you just want to go check out the Giants, you know, pregame, hopefully they win a football game, then Please head on over to TickPick.com today to save $10 on your first order of Giants tickets. That's TickPick.com. Check it out, everyone. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I think the Giants have to realistically look at their circumstances and and just take everything into account right now. You have a new general manager coming in. Do you believe you're going to be a competing team this season, even with the lesser schedule or the weaker schedule, I should say? Or do you think you're in a rebuild year? If you're in a rebuild year, I think you should trade Saquon Barkley. I don't think it should be for a third round pick. I should I do believe you have to hold out for a second round pick and and hope that that there's a general manager out there that still values someone like Saquon Barkley at his age. If you believe you can compete, which a lot of general managers will feel like they can, but there are some that are a little bit more realistic, then I think you have to keep Barkley. Now you do not give him that contract that we see. I think you can, you know, you know, have him play this year out. And if you suck, you can trade him at the deadline. I'm fine with that. But I think it does depend on what the general manager's vision is for this first year. Because I'm not 100% certain how he's going to view some of the personnel that the Giants have. I don't know how he's going to view the quarterback position. If it's Kevin Abrams, then I'm imagining it's going to be Saquon Barkley's going to stay. And that's probably what, you know, I'm fine with that. Like, I'm not all, hey, we have to get rid of Saquon Barkley. I'm more so, hey, we can't give this guy a big contract and allocate that much money for the, to the running back position, which I'm sure you're still in the same camp with, right? Oh, yeah. There's no circumstance, no matter how he plays next year, that I would re-sign him to any contract for me. Because one, his name is big enough, so he will get a big contract. And two, the injury history is the big indicator here. He's got lower body injuries building up, and he'll be older at that point. You don't you don't make the mistake of allocating cap to him, no matter what. For me, it's just like, I, I just want him for the rental. Because I, always, I honestly think at worst case, someone will give him that contract based on name, based on what he can do for their marketing, if he has a bounce back season. And then they end up getting a supplemental pick back from him anyway that's in the third or fourth round range, depending on what the contract is and depending on what they do, which they probably won't be players in next year's free agency either. So to me, it's like, I just don't see enough of a gain. I agreed. If it's a second round pick, that that kind of changes my opinion, though. And again, that second round pick would basically be a early third round pick because I'm sure it would be from a team that is in competition. It's not like the Jaguars are going to be trading a, a first round pick or a second round pick for Saquon Barkley. So I, I think that's also important as well. But I, I'm fine with having him here. I just 
I just don't know what John Mara and this new general manager is going to do when his contract runs out. Are they going to try to just franchise tag him? And hopefully they don't go through a whole Ezekiel Elliott type of situation. But like we've been pretty, you know, steadfast here on the Big Blue Banter podcast that you do not allocate that much money to a running back. <laughs> yeah, of course not. And that kind of goes into the argument of why people want to trade him because the idea here is you trade him. And then you reinvest into that position. Like the Patriots found uh, Ramondre Stevenson in the, what was it? Third or fourth round this year? I believe it was the fourth. That dude looks awesome. I've watched yeah. a little bit of his film and I've seen him on broadcast. He is big, explosive, and creates on his own. Like he has been a better runner than Barkley this year, if we're going to be completely honest. Because especially because Barkley hasn't had the CJ2K type home run hit. So like straight up, he's been a better runner. I get it. The blocking's better, blah, blah, blah. He's been a better runner. And you can find talent at that position in rounds two, three, and four. Specifically, some of the best backs in the leagues are from those rounds. So if the idea is to take a third-round pick for him, use that pick on a running back you'll now have under contract for four straight years at $1 million or fewer cap dollars, because that's what it is for these third- and fourth-round picks, I get it. But it is still a risk. It's kind of like the people who don't want to trade for a Rodgers, you know, Rodgers, a Sean Watson, a Russell Wilson type, it's still a risk. Their whole thing is I can't be a rebuilding team like the Giants with this much O-line problems and buy into trading for a veteran quarterback because we're giving up valuable picks during a rebuild. But when you're a team like the Giants, who's blown pick after pick after pick, I mean, they're not getting much of anything at all from number two, number six, number 17, number 22, that's Evan Ingram. Um, and the list goes on, number 34, Will Hernandez. They're not getting much at all from these picks. Like, I guess you can argue they're getting something from Dexter Lawrence, but certainly not enough to win football games, not much of a pass rushing impact. And the rest of them, like, not much at all. They hit on Thomas, but that's like one in five. So like this is not a team that has a track record of just slam dunking drafts. And so proven commodities are worth a little bit more, in my opinion, than these kind of unknowns. And it's against what I've always thought. I get it. Like, trust me, I understand the general consensus and correct opinion and logic on, on building out rosters is not to trade your picks. It's not the smartest way to do it. But for some positions, namely quarterback, and I'm also willing to throw offensive tackle in the mix. Like, Jesus Christ, the San Francisco 49ers sent the last pick of round three and a fifth round future pick for Trent frickin' Williams. That's one of the biggest steals of the last decade. And people at the time, I remember tweeting about it, and a big cap guy who follows me, who I'm friends with off the pot, he went to Wisconsin with me, he used to work for over the cap. He was like, this is not a slam dunk deal. This is not a ripoff at all by the 49ers because of yada yada. Trent Williams is old. He makes a lot of money, blah, blah, blah. But that was wrong. Like, it was a slam dunk pick uh, trade. It was one of the best trades in my mind of the last decade because he's the best offensive tackle in the NFL, and you got him for nothing. So, to me, again, I, I don't know, man. I just feel like the whole picks versus players versus proven players thing, uh, I'm more than ever, Nick, I'm leaning back toward uh, the middle on that, I guess. Not fully there, obviously, but more than I've ever been. Nah, that's understandable, and especially, like you said, when it comes to the quarterback position. But to, to bring it back to Saquon Barkley for a second, for anybody who's following on Game Pass, if you want to see the two runs that really impressed me, the first quarter, 256 left, and then the third quarter, 930 left. That was an eight-yard run and a nine-yard run. Is there any runs that really stuck out to you, Dan? 
I have both of those. I have I like I really like the 1442 in the first quarter, really just the first play of the game. Just a really nice individual run by Barkley. He reset in what should have been a loss of one or two, and he found a way to get eight yards in my mind on what should have been a negative. That was probably the one that stood out most to me. Um, I really liked uh, I think it was the one that started the fourth drive. Um trying to I don't have the exact timestamp on this one, but it was around it was around the second quarter mark, I believe, because it was just after their third and seven miss on the 153 mark in the first quarter. Um, but yeah, a couple. There was a bunch of really nice, nice runs by him in this game. Yeah, that first one you brought up was a was a good old GH counter, a little sniffering Chris Myrick, who was just waved today, following Wes Martin. Now that is an intimidating duo coming at the Bears defense. And Barkley, I mean, the, the linebacker, Roquan Smith plays that so well because Will Hernandez can't climb up to the second level to get to him. And Roquan Smith stays square to Saquon Barkley the entire time. Barkley has nowhere to go. He runs into the back of David Sills and then jukes out number 94 and ends up picking up eight yards somehow. It was uh, all extemporized and all off script, but that was like vintage, you know, Penn State type of Saquon yes. Barkley. 100%. That's how exactly that you nailed it, Nick. That was vintage Penn State Barkley. And now I would say it's not fully Penn State Barkley because I've seen a play like that against USC. And even during his rookie season, like the Jaguars run comes to mind from his rookie year where he actually like rips that off into even more with the breakaway stuff. It's mm-hmm. not quite there. Again, I think he is playing through injuries and I think they're really affecting his and sapping his explosiveness. But as far as just the creativity and the ability to turn a negative into a positive, that was there, and that was on full display on that run and, and, a, and a few others in this game. So really strong game from Barkley. It really got me thinking, like, you know what? I, I, I'd like to see him back for another year. Yeah, no, I, I definitely see that. Running behind Andrew Thomas, who was, uh, who was another individual who I feel like had a strong game outside of a sequence of plays in the fourth quarter at around the 856 and 834 mark where he gets beat by Robert Quinn twice. But other than those two plays, he had a really good game, man. He was really containing Quinn and throwing him on the ground and, and and doing a pretty solid job overall. I think you nailed it. I think there was the the best the biggest thing I saw with Thomas was what you said. How many times did Robert Quinn end up on the ground? Like even yeah. on the Glennon interception, uh, the one of his interceptions, the second one. He throw it was an incredible block by Andrew Thomas against Robert Quinn to get him on the ground. And then Thomas said, This is what somebody actually pointed out on Twitter because I put this clip up and it was, it was great. Thomas then runs down the interceptor and tackles him. So it's like the full play. He becomes full scope on that play. I mean, what a true, amazing building block. Thank God they at least got something out of four draft classes. Like one great thing out of four classes, and then two pretty good things in McKinney and Ojalari is not nearly enough. It's why the Giants are so bad right now, but at least it's something. Some teams have probably whiffed for four straight years. Like, what really is there to show for the Jaguars right now? (laughs) So, like, there are teams that have zero out of these last few classes, but like you said, man, it was a really good game, and I think even one of those Robert Quinn sacks, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to fully blame on Thomas because I feel like it was a weird play where Ingram was supposed to chip and then like it kind of screwed up the whole timing of Thomas's pass set. Did you feel that way on that one? No, I actually thought that was just an excellent individual play by Robert Quinn because okay. yeah, Evan Ingram, he's tasked to chip and he does, he chips because Robert Quinn's lined up really wide. So Ingram chips him and then Quinn starts getting up the arc and Andrew Thomas goes to meet him, but Quinn just just dips his inside shoulder and just kind of avoids and gets avoids Andrew Thomas and gets up the arc before Andrew Thomas can. I think Andrew Thomas just maybe misjudged how, how uh, the depth of the angle 
that Robert Quinn was kind of taking up the arc there and just the overall flexibility and speed and quickness. And honestly, I didn't realize, and I knew Robert Quinn was having a great season, but I didn't realize just how good he looked on film, man, until I started watching a little bit of Bears film. Like, he looks really, really good. And I remember a lot of people were kind of mocking the contract he got. Yeah, Yeah, you nailed it. People hated that contract. And I was, you know, I'm not saying I was one of them, but I was skeptical to begin with. Oh, I I was too, yeah. Like, paying him off that career, not career year, but career resurgence in Dallas at that age, it seemed to make no sense. But, man, you can't, it's hard to find edges, and he's really good. He's a really good edge. Yeah, he is, man. And I thought I thought Thomas did an excellent job on him all game other than those two plays. And the first play, the play before that, the 856 play, it was like a stunt where Thomas got sucked inside a little bit too far and it took him a little bit long to realize the looper was kind of coming around And because Robert Quinn did an excellent job faking like he was going inside into the B-gap. So Thomas followed him and then Quinn just kind of bailed and Quinn's so quick that Thomas's legs got really wide and he became off balance and kind of fell over and it didn't matter because Nate Solder was beat by Bruce Irving and Bruce Irving got the sack right before Robert Quinn could, but still wasn't a great look for Andrew Thomas. But other than those two plays, like we said, he he's a, he's a keeper for sure. I want to touch a little bit more on a few more players that stood out to me. And then I want to get your take on a few plays that I have circled. And then I want to turn it over to you and see what you have plays wise to talk about, or even just players wise. If I don't touch on them, I want to start with Galladay because I mentioned him earlier, Nick, I got to be honest with you, man. I just don't feel like there's juice and there's pop in his routes right now. He's not creating that much separation. I think it's injury-based. I think he's just playing hurt. I think that's kind of the toughness of this this Joe Judge team. I think these guys are not like, kind of pressured to, but in some ways pressured to play hurt. <laughs> I really do almost feel that way. I, I just think otherwise he should, like the way that he looks out there, it just doesn't look like the player I was thinking they would get. It definitely doesn't look like the player they need to be getting out of this contract and that amount of cap space allocated. Like, and it's not all his fault. Like to me, it's partially the coach's fault. Like you need to put him in motion. You need to put, you need to give him back shoulders. You need to give him one-on-ones. You need to design and scheme ways to get him the ball. And that's coaching. But I just don't feel like I'm watching the same player right now on tape. I want to get your take on Galladay and where he's at right now. I would agree with you, to be honest. Uh, After watching the all 22 in this game, I, I didn't focus on Holiday per se, but on, on some of these plays, you can see that these Bears cornerbacks who aren't all necessarily great cornerbacks, you know, they're they're average cornerbacks, they're, they're sticking to him a lot. Like on the one interception yeah. where it was intended for Kenny Galladay, but the ball got popped up in the air, like you can see like Galladay doesn't really create a lot of separation at all on the cornerback. And I'm trying to distinguish who that cornerback is because he wasn't the one who intercepted it, but he, he, it's, he struggles a bit to get off of the coverage there and then the cornerback's able to undercut it get his hand on the ball gets popped up in the air and then it gets picked off by the safety sean gibson yeah i don't really see the explosiveness there and kenny galladay was never the most explosive type of receiver and i think you're right the coaches have to do a better job designing back shoulder throws getting him off the line of scrimmage if he is struggling defeating press which isn't something he necessarily just struggles with typically but when you're getting paid 72 million dollars you're getting paid like an alpha dog and he's not playing like an alpha dog right now He's playing more like a, a second wide receiver and the guy doesn't have a touchdown this season. And I know the situation around him sucks, but man, like what does that say about you when you're Kenny Galladay, a guy who's capable of scoring 15 touchdowns in a season, you don't have one this year. And, you know, I, I think a couple of weeks ago, I, I chastised him a little bit about, about not coming down with some of the contested catches. That's something that I feel like he hasn't been put into the best situation with either uh, with the New York giants. They haven't done a great job with that. But there have been plays where you're like, you know, it's difficult 
but you know, a really good receiver would come down with that. And he hasn't necessarily done that. So for a receiver getting paid that much money, yeah, it's, it's been underwhelming and it could definitely be injury related. Yeah. And it's interesting to think about like how much of it is on him, how much of it is on the coaching, how much of it is on the quarterback play. I feel like we're going to find out more next year because we all kind of agree, or at least me and you kind of agree. Can't get worse from a coaching standpoint in my mind, at least it can't get worse from a quarterback play standpoint. Like, I think at the very least, even if Jones is healthy and comes back as the starter, it's not going to be worse than what he was this year. It may, it may be the same, but it won't be worse than what he put on tape. And then as far as the last the last thing, which is him, the player, like he's going to be healthier next year after a full offseason, or at least we hope. Like, who knows? I mean, he's been injured a lot his career. Giants seem to shrug that off. And you know, one thing we never talked about enough, I don't think of Nick, during the offseason, and I know we meant, I mentioned it once, I feel like, but we never really put him to task for this. We were all kind of swept up in the excitement of the Giants offseason. Just I think we just needed some kind of excitement. Oh, Logan Ryan, he's he's recruiting players. They're signing uh Dory Jackson. We never really questioned that no team was willing to put any kind of real money into Kenny Golly. There was some fake BS rumor about the Bears having interest, but no real contract offer. And as you dug more deeper into that, it wasn't really true. It was kind of just BS by his agent to drive up the price of the Giants. Giants are essentially bidding against themselves. We celebrated the contract, but when you're bidding against yourselves, you really shouldn't celebrate your team signing that contract. It's really just another example in my mind. And I still like Kenny Galladay, but as far as the process goes, that was another example of a really bad process by a desperate team to making a lot of bad process-based decisions. When you bid against yourselves, and there's a there's probably a reason why no other team is willing to give a big contract to that player. Um, and you know, I'm not saying we've seen it this year, but the injuries again. And like you said, like you watch the film, you focus in on Galdi. He's really not a sudden separator type. He's not that like Antonio Brown, Deontay Johnson type receiver. And He's got to win in other ways, and just right now, he's just not winning in those ways. Yeah, and it sucks, man, too, because we were all excited about getting the big prototypical X receiver for Jason Garrett's offense, and uh, it, that has not been actualized whatsoever. Yep, hopefully next year. That will be actualized. I don't yeah. think we're going to get much of a passing game in Week 18. We say that a lot. Hopefully next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully next year. Speaking of hopefully next year, I want to touch on another player. Then we can get to some plays. And I want to see if you have any other players before we get to plays that you want to touch on. But the guy I want to touch on is Ben Bredesen here because he came into this game. And I got to be honest with you, Nick. I obviously wanted to focus on him. Like there's a few players on this offense that need to be focused on. Why? Well, here's why. The Giants need to at least have a depth piece out of Bredesen, but maybe more. Like, again, we cannot count on Nick Gates for 2022. He had the Alex Smith injury. That probably means his 2022 season is off the table. If we're going to be honest about the situation, and if we're going to kind of guesstimate on where he'll be at. So if you don't have Gates, you don't have Hernandez, because I, I really hope the Giants don't re-sign Hernandez. I see nothing there. I don't like Scary at all. I don't like Wes Martin at all. It's tough to find three starting interior offensive linemen in one year, and it's tough to find backups too. So maybe Bredesen going to be that guy. I thought Bredesen moves, from my personal takeaway, and I'm curious to get your take on him, I feel like he moves well in space. He moves very differently than Hernandez does, and I think that he is someone who somewhat looks somewhat natural as a run blocker, especially when he's being asked to move. There was a nice um, block he made that I put up on Twitter. I'm trying to find the timestamp for it now um, from Bredesen. I'm, I'm losing it now. Was it, it was the trap block. Yep. When was yeah, when that? Nate Solder, Nate Solder let the uh, like three tech or the four eye up, and then he came over yep. and he trapped him. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I thought that was uh, one of his better plays for sure. 
Yeah, game. you got to have some kind of good movement skills to get out there and to make that trap block, and he did. And then I thought in the fourth quarter at 10.32 mark, this was a first and 10 play, uh, Giants pass play, 10.32 fourth quarter. I really like this pass pro rep from Bredesen. He was super physical. He got his hands up really fast. He attacks the defender, and like you might be like, oh, is he holding him? But he's inside the numbers, and he's inside the jersey. Like They're not going to call that. And I thought that was a really good rep and it was a really physical rep and pass pro. Well, he dictated the terms and I hadn't seen that much. Like it stood out to me because I just hadn't seen that much from the left guard position this year. I would say that's a good recovery rep because he's kind of beat initially. He gets that inside arm inside the shoulder pad, the defender. And then you could see the defender use his inside arm to kind of hit the back shoulder of Ben Bredesen while bringing his outside arm, the defenders that is underneath Bredesen's inside arm to rip through and that's usually a telltale sign of oh crap I'm an offensive lineman and I'm screwed because I'm beat here because <laughs> that rip move has landed he's established low leverage on me now all he needs to do is rip upward to raise my center of gravity and I'm screwed you see that all the time and you can see if you even slow it down on game pass you can see Bredesen's center of gravity starts to rise but Bredesen anchors down and he gets his hips more towards the center line of the defender and cuts the angle off and then he resets his anchor and then gets both his hands back inside. And then by that point, Mike Glenn is going out of the pocket and the defender disengages, but that is a really good, I would say recovery from Ben Bredesen right there. There you go. And I'll take that. Like he just looks not a lot more natural there. Even to the Billy, like you just said, you broke it down very nicely. Like to do all those things, it takes some level of talent. I want to see more. Obviously I hope he plays every snap in the next game, but I was definitely impressed with Bredesen. Any other plays from Bredesen stand out to you? Yeah, so Ben Bredesen, to me, honestly, and, and this is the state of the Giants' offensive line. This isn't me speaking glowingly of, of, of Ben Bredesen, if I'm going to be honest with you. I think Ben Bredesen is the second offensive lineman on this team that the Giants have to rely on going forward right now. Right. I, I don't even know who else it would be. I really don't because <laughs> a lot of these guys aren't going to be here. Nate Solder, Will Hernandez, Matt Skura, Wes Martin, Billy Price might not be here. So who the hell else is there? There's Andrew Thomas, obviously. And now Ben Bredesen. And that's the current state of the Giants. That should scare the crap out of people. And I think Ben Bredesen could be a good player. And I think in this game, he had a lot of easier blocks. Like if you look at the PFF grade, the PFF grade is really, really good. But that's because he aligned, uh, I think, 13 of his 31 snaps. or Yeah, 13 of his 31 snaps he aligned as a, the jumbo tight end. So he was blocking, you know, right. little outside linebackers and, and like safeties dropped down in the box. And he's like dominating and manhandling them. But when he was in at guard, he wasn't bad. Now, the only like bad rep I think I can remember is fourth quarter, 456 left. And that was, I think, mostly caused because him and Andrew Thomas's feet get tangled up. So he never gets the ability to, to block the defender on a run by Devontae Booker. They ended up picking up five yards anyways, but Ben Bredesen's guy ends up easily shedding him and tackling Devontae Booker. But again, I think that happens because Ben Bredesen can't bring his outside foot outside of the, the framework of Andrew Thomas's two feet because both of them are engaged in the block. And that happens sometimes on the offensive line. So overall, Ben Bredesen, I would say he had a good game as well. Yeah, for sure. All right. I want to talk some plays, and I want to get your take on some plays. Before we do that, I want to see if there's any other players you wanted to highlight and spotlight on the offensive side of the ball. There's no other players I really want to um, spotlight. I mean, Nate Solder did Nate Solder things. Will Hernandez did Will Hernandez <laughs> things. It was it was kind of one of those things. There's really nothing to talk about. It's with like the, every game for those two. It's crazy. It, it really is. And that's a side of the line of scrimmage too. You know, it's not even like they're, they're on separate sides of the line of scrimmage. It is one side of the line of scrimmage that has just been completely, I don't even want to say 
I, I don't even want to say inconsistent because they've been consistently bad, you know? Yeah, so it's you not would even... think they would have some games where it's not like they don't have one to five screw-ups, but you just don't have those games. And again, like Will Hernandez, he puts some good tape out there, but this season to me, it's been much more bad than good. Whereas in the past, you know, some a lot of like okay plays and then some good ones and then some egregious ones. This one, there's been a lot of egregious. And, it, you know, it, I don't think this game was his worst game by any means, but it's still like I don't really have much to to, to talk about with those two players or any ones that we didn't already go over. And what does it tell you about Hernandez that, he was benched in a season last year where he quite arguably in both of our minds, not arguably at all, had better tape than in this season. What does that tell you? Like he was benched last year, not benched this year. There's no one to bench him for. <laughs> yeah. That's what it tells you. There's no reinforcements. There's no backup plan on this offensive line. It also I tells you like, what I'm sorry, the coaching. Ahead. It also kind of tells you what the coaching staff how would they view Will Hernandez if this wasn't long COVID related, which that's another variable we have right. to consider here if we're going to be fair. But they valued what Shane Lemieux brought and his kind of meanness in the run game. And we know Will Hernandez is a mean guy when he's out there. You see him fighting all the time. But they liked what Shane Lemieux was doing more than what Will Hernandez was doing. Now, obviously, Shane Lemieux was not there, but there's no one to to remove Will Hernandez for. Like, who are you going to remove him for when Matt Skura and Billy Price are there? Wes Martin? You're not going to do that. Yeah, like, especially with Bredesen being hurt most of the year. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with Will Hernandez. He's more than likely not going to be a Giant, obviously. I don't think the Giants will be bringing him back. He's going to go off to another team, and we'll see if he ends up developing into a player and and, and reaching the potential he had coming out of college. But it's been a disaster since since basically after his rookie season. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, let's get into a couple plays that stood out to me, and then I'll turn it over to you, and you can break down some plays. I wanted to talk a little bit about um, – Talked a little bit about Galladay. On the third drive, there was a third and seven the Giants were faced with, and they had just been running the hell out of the ball. And then they finally started to pass it. And something I saw on this third down play, this is the 153 mark of the first quarter. So there's two things that stood out to me on this. One, the Giants have to be. They just have to be, Nick. Leading the league in seven-man pass protections with just three-man route combinations that somehow get immediately blown up for pressures. Immediate. Max protect and yet immediate pressure on the quarterback in a max protect situation boggles my mind. I just don't understand how this can't be practiced better, how this can't be executed better. You have seven guys to do their job. But the second thing that stood out was that this was very Garrett-esque. This was very Jason Garrett-esque. The entire middle of the field, there's no routes breaking there. They don't use any of the middle of the field here. They only have three routes anyway. And none of them are breaking over the middle. This is just such a bad play call and bad execution from a pass pro standpoint. It's just like, I don't think any quarterback, literally even Aaron Rodgers could have done anything on this play. Yeah, I'm not 100% certain what happened with this play specifically. At first, I thought maybe it was an RPO. They pulled the lineman, but I think that was just to pick up the blitzing linebackers. It doesn't look like any of the other linemen are really run blocking on this play but it's just two quick hitches to the field and then one quick hitch to the boundary on a third and seven, and none of them even really get to the sticks. I, I hate that play design. I hate that play call. I think it's egregious. There's just really nothing Mike Glennon could do, and the Bears end up bringing the pressure, and it cannot get blocked up whatsoever because the Giants are the New York Giants. And these are some of the same issues we had with Jason Garrett, and I think it's enough for me to say, regardless of what happens like with Joe Judge, who now I think – has at least a chance of not coming back. 
before, obviously, you know, the report from Adam Schefter, he's definitely coming back. Daniel Jones is definitely coming back. I don't think that's definitely the case. Like, if they get completely shit-canned, as, you know, I've mentioned before on the podcast, people like that word. I've had two people shout me out and say, I like that word. I'm starting using it in my daily routine. Again, I apologize. A little bit of a non-family-friendly term, but shit-canned is what has happened to the Giants this entire season in multiple spots. I mean, the, the beatdown, the shit-canning from the Bears is just unexplainable. But, you know, if he is back, Joe Judge... I don't think he can bring back Freddie Kitchens. I think he needs to go outside the organization to find a new offensive play caller who can fit the system they, I'm sorry, who could fit the talent they have and make his system fit the talent they have. And these are just examples of it. Like this is a really bad play call on third and seven. And there was another one, the next drive, like they faced the third and seven and it's not the same route combination. So it's not as egregious, but they have a similar situation where like on the first one we just talked about at the 523 mark, they have like Nate Solder trying to like kick out. I guess this is like an RPO. So he's trying to like get there. But again, like this, this third and seven on the next drive, I don't understand the idea because they have the center kicking all the way out to try to block the free coming edge rusher. Like, he doesn't get there on time. He's not in position to block. It's Robert frickin' Quinn, and the play is just blown up immediately. Like, you don't want plays just blown up immediately with these, you know, exotic pass protections with the center kicking out to try to ta- take on the edge. Like, it's just wild stuff. Like, you already have enough problems in pass pro. What the hell is going on here with some of these calls, man? Like, just similar things we saw with Garrett. Again, routes not breaking towards the middle of the field. Just all the things that troubled them. But again, man, I just can't think of another team that's had this much trouble blocking and Matt and max protect. I just, I just can't think of it. No, there's not. And on that first play that we went over, that was Will Hernandez absolutely getting destroyed by Blackson on that play. So that was one of Will Hernandez's worst reps. And other teams do this where they take their interior offensive linemen. It just depends on what the defensive front aligns in because you don't know who exactly is blitzing. And all of those players who are blitz threats have to be accounted for. And the center was uncovered on this play and no one to block whatsoever because there was no one in either a gap. The closest defender to him was a two technique over Will Hernandez. So it was his job to kick out, to take out that wide nine. It wasn't an RPO either. And he just can't get over there to, to locate Robert. It's a really hard ask when you're going up against someone like Robert Quinn in that situation. And you know, Devonte Booker is, is looking at Roquan Smith there. You would want him to be more cognizant of the fact that, uh, his center has to kick out there and, and get to a, a really difficult blocker. I'm not blaming Booker because he probably had another assignment to block on that play, but you, but you're right. Like I, I don't like the fact that you have these suboptimal offensive linemen and these, these offensive linemen who aren't all that athletic because they probably shouldn't be playing in the NFL right now, kicking out into space to block an ed, a free edge rusher. Who's going to have steam and momentum. Yeah. Especially yeah. if it's Robert Quinn who like, as we, I don't know if we touched on enough, like he looks unbelievable out there. Like, so I don't know, man. It's just crazy stuff. Um, a couple other plays. We talked about the nice combo block, third and four, second quarter, 10-26. Bredesen and Solder did a great job to pick up that um, pick up that first down. I thought there was a third and five in the third quarter with 6-46, which was a really nice play call by Freddie Kitchens to get this wheel route. The design was good, but like the execution is just not there. The throw's a little off. It kind of hits Booker in the hands, but he doesn't catch it. And just, just such a like microcosm of of like the giant season. And another microcosm for me was the third and four later in the game at the Chicago 37. This was the 242 mark, quarter three. And I'm I'm going fast through these because there's not too much to touch on. I'm just kind of pointing them out. But just another microcosm of the giant season is Nate Solder on this third and four in the third quarter, 242. I mean, he's just beat so cleanly. I don't even understand. 
like his set here, what he, how slow he is to get into it, and then how cleanly he's beat. And you know what you see there is just an immediate beat. Immediately, it's just play over. Uh, and then just one final thing I want to touch on, and then I'll turn it over to you, Nick, is the fourth quarter, third and four from their own 22, 345. The game's over, but my God, is this a bad read from Mike Glennon on this interception? I mean, he just, <laughs> he just, I guess he makes a decision pre-snap, I suppose. And the ball is tipped. Somebody pointed that on Twitter. It is, does look like it's tipped now that I rewatch this, but there's a, just an underneath defender right there. Like, I don't understand this read at all. It's just like, and we saw that actually at least two times from my memory from Daniel Jones this season and then maybe three, actually three, there were twice against the Rams and then another game. I mean, uh, more than that, the KC game, this happened a good amount for Jones as well, but, and these are to me inexplicable. Like you can't be making those kinds of reads, especially Glennon. He's been in this league for so long. Yeah. He just doesn't account for the linebacker being able to work back underneath that and anticipate the slant. And it was tipped on that play, but it still might've been intercepted. If not, it would have been broken up or the receiver would have died upon contact of the, uh, of the player on that, on that one interception. And as for the third and five, you brought up with six forty-six in the third. I, I really like this play call. It's a really nice play design with Kenny Galladay, who is aligned just inside the numbers with Devontae Booker to his side. And that is the boundary side with three receivers up top. And they get a man coverage look from the Chicago bears. And all Kenny Galladay is going to do is he's going to run basically a quick pick route on that linebacker. So he's just going to get that linebackers rate or way. And that's going to allow Devontae Booker to get into the flat unabated and kind of outrun him. And Mike Glennon actually puts a solid ball out here. It's a little bit overthrown, but Booker, it kind of hits his fingertips and he doesn't catch it. But I like this play design out into space and the whole pick concept against man coverage is something I feel like Jason Garrett and Freddie Kitchens have tried to implement, but it hasn't necessarily worked as well as some other teams, uh, how they pull it off, I guess you could say. Yeah, for sure. All right. I'm going to turn it over to you now if you want to talk about some offensive plays that we didn't get to, and then we could turn it over to the defense. No, there was uh, – I mean, you can go over the, the first play of the game, which is just <laughs> is just insane to me, man. Insane. How... Insane watching that play. Like, how – first of all, before – I want to get your take on this before I let you go. How the fuck – sorry, excuse my language. Is Mike Glennon played this long in the NFL, and yet – with a free blitzer coming off his right side, his strong side, he's not throwing hot to the right. Like, there is an in-breaking route he can hit here. Why the, right over the middle to his right, where the pressure is coming from. How is that not directly where his eyes go? I don't know. I, I have no idea. He should have known right when Roquan Smith dropped over Will Hernandez that there was a 2v1 against Nate Solder, and there's nothing the Giants could do because the Bears align in tight. So you have someone over the center. You have someone directly over a four technique on Andrew Thomas and the four technique on Nate Solder. So you have the two guards who are uncovered. Now, if you look to your right, which is where Nate Solder is, there is another pass rusher. Now, theoretically, if Roquan Smith drops back in coverage, Will Hernandez can take the four technique and then Nate Solder can kick out and get that edge rusher. But since for whatever reason, the Giants aligned and empty, there is no fail safe there to, to have a running back help chip or help block. If a blitzer comes, well, that blitzer comes, occupies Will Hernandez. He has to just take him. That means Nate Solder has to take the four technique, which means nobody takes Travis Gibson. Now, Nate, or uh, Mike Glennon should have known this, man. This is this is this is on Mike Glennon. He he saw Roquan Smith come and he just locked eyes to the left for some reason and he got nailed, rightfully so, causing the fumble. And that's just uh, inexcusable at this point. 
Yep, <laughs> pretty much. I mean, it was it was as bad as it looked to you guys on the broadcast on the film. Yeah, it was it was it was horrendous, man. And we went over a lot of the other plays that I liked. You touched on some of them. A lot of the runs from Saquon Barkley that I that I felt like were were solid runs as well. I think the sequence before halftime was was horrendous, especially for Wes Martin, because obviously the the Farrell Cooper situation, which was, you know, mind boggling. They thought it was going to bounce in the end zone. Of course it doesn't. They get tackled and it's like, oh, well, you know, the Giants are used to giving up points right before halftime. Usually it's on the defensive side. So might as well have the offense give up some points <laughs> right before halftime. So Wes Martin, he gets beat really bad inside on that first play. That was almost a safety. And then there was the false start by 61. I mean, there were there were guys out there that were playing that like I never heard of. <laughs> I know. You know what I mean? Like like the Giants are really. I feel like more so than ever this season, there's been Giants players out there that I've just never heard of, and like I don't mean never. Like we've heard of them in passing, but at most in passing. Yeah, like like you never watched much film on them. You know what I'm saying? Like 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 guys that 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 are from college that like like you know what school they're from. And stuff, and maybe you watched them when they were in college, but you have no professional film on these individuals. And with Wes Martin again, though, after that false start from that player, he got beat again, which caused the safety. That was like literally Wes Martin just collapsing on himself <laughs> right before halftime that caused that two points for the Bears. It was a solo collapse from an offensive lineman who wouldn't start on any other team right now, is somehow starting on the Giants, and will be out of the NFL soon. Yes, yes, it will be out of the NFL. I mean, we got guys like uh, who was the uh, number sixty-one? His name um, is kind of escaping me at the moment. I'm gonna pull it up. Sixty-one. Dennis okay. Kelly. Oh, Dennis yeah. Kelly the second out there blocking, being a jumbo lineman, played eighteen snaps. And I'm not gonna lie, like I don't think a lot of people know who Dennis Kelly or Derek Kelly was. Yeah, I even got his name wrong, bro. Is Derek Kelly the second? Yeah, Dennis Kelly was actually traded for and one time an asset. This is Derek Kelly. I've literally, I'll be honest with you, I have not even heard of Derek Kelly. That's just the current state of the Giants, man. I mean, I remember, I remember him in college just because he was at Florida State and Florida State. Like, I feel like they have like some of the worst offensive lines every year. <laughs> but like, I, I haven't watched anything on that guy. And like, I didn't watch him in college. I only watched him when I was watching, you know, Florida, Florida state or something like that. Yeah. Derek Kelly, my God. So weird. The offensive line situation is just so weird just because they literally said, this is the first thing we're going to fix. They had four years to do it and it couldn't be worse. It's nah, crazy. it's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah, like there's been some injuries, but not to the extent where that can be an excuse by any means. So just wild stuff. Let's hope the next GM really hones down on this thing and says like, all right, our first goal is to improve the offensive line. And by improve, I mean, we're not going to go a single draft without taking at least two. <laughs> we're not going to go a single draft. Like, that might just mean two second day picks, rounds three, rounds four, but we're taking two. That's what has to happen, man. That's what has to happen. Yep. All right. Let's start by diving into some defensive stuff here. Uh, I guess my first thing I would say, my main takeaway is I thought the Bears and Matt Nagy did actually a pretty good job of finding ways to beat Patrick Graham's defense. Obviously, they had a lot of opportunities, they had a lot of short fields, but there were some things they did in the passing game that I was like, ooh, that was nice. You found a nice vacated zone there to throw the football into, especially when you factor in everything. They have really bad quarterback play with Andy Dalton. They have really bad offensive line play. It's almost as bad as the Giants by all the metrics. I don't know if the quarterback play is really bad. Oh, okay. I, think, I, I, I thought Andy Dalton was terrible. I, I think Andy Dalton is a is a quarterback you don't want starting for your team. 
But when I look at Andy Dalton right now, I would much rather have Andy Dalton than Mike Glennon and Jake Fromm. Yeah, I'm not going to compare him to like what the Giants yeah. have right now, for sure. He's a professional starter who's seen a lot of different defenses and has processed a lot. But he missed some throw. Like some of the ball placement was just not good. I thought yeah. Andy Dalton in this game. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt. I'm not. I'm not saying that. Yeah. So maybe let's tone that back and scale that back and say like middling quarter, middling to bad quarterback play, bad offensive line. But they found some spots against Patrick and none that I really have that I want to dive into. I kind of have a few plays written down that I want to dive into on the good side of it. So instead, let me just turn it over to you and get your kind of overall takeaways any concepts you saw or just anything you want to talk about on the defense side of the ball. Well, first off, let's start off with the positive, man. Lorenzo Carter looks different right now, man. He, he, he pops on film. He is incredibly explosive, has his burst, has his flexibility. He is putting moves together, dude. He is, he's playing like somebody who is about to get paid. And I'm not saying mm -hmm. that that's the reason why he's, hitting his stride right now. I think, you know, a year removed from the Achilles injury, the surgery, the recovery, all of those things. And now he's finally starting to come into his own and reach his potential. And I, I think he can be a special type of player, man, with, with his movement skills and, and the fact that he has that burst and he's still young too. So I, I felt like he just had a phenomenal game as a run defender, as just a guy playing with his hair on fire and as a pass rusher. Yeah, you touted him on Twitter. For those of you who missed it, Nick put up a little breakdown of him from film. I know, again, look, it's a long season. It's a bad season. You guys probably don't want to hunker down and watch a ton of Giants film with us, which I get. But Nick did put a put some work into it, and I think he did a good job breaking down some of the highlights from Zoe Carter in this game. Four straight good game in a row from him. Third sack in four games. And a really nice run stop at the 432 mark in the first quarter. Just kind of shows what he's able to do as a free, you know, if he's if he has a free path to the ball carrier, he just can explode into him and make a stop or a loss there like he did. He had a nice sack before that in the game. Um, just really a good game from him overall. Five tackles, two hurries, a sack, a batted pass, four stops in the run game. One of the key things about Carter and the reason I want the Giants to re-sign him now, Nick, and we'll get to that now, but it's something that you always talk about, Nick. It's that he's a really good run defender in addition to what he can offer from an explosive athletic standpoint. So they have three key free agents, Nick. Lorenzo Carter, Jabril Peppers, and Evan Ingram. Those are the guys I consider the three free key, uh, three key free agents. I think as of now, Nick, and I'm curious to get your take on this, given the cost, the projected cost of all three of them, and in my mind, Carter will be the cheapest of those three by far. I think I want Carter back the most of those three. I would agree with that right now. I wouldn't. And I think Evan Ingram, There, there's a discussion to be had there because the state of the Giants tight end position is, you know, it's barren. There's nothing there right now. So that I think there's a conversation with. And I, I still think there's value in Evan Ingram. And I know a lot of people don't like Evan Ingram, but I still think he can be a valuable asset to a winning team and a winning culture. But the Giants aren't either right now. So. I think there's a conversation there. I, I like Jabril. I want to keep Jabril. I don't know if Jabril's going to be kept unless it's on like a really, you know, one year prove it deal, small kind of thing. But uh, I would like to keep all three, but I know that's probably not going to happen. One of them might be kept. And if I had to pick one, I think it would be Lorenzo. Yeah, I think for me, it's also based on what you mentioned before with Peppers. One, I don't think he liked that his scale uh, snaps were scaled back this year and his role was scaled yeah. back a little bit. But two, they... <sighs> kind of made their bed there in my mind with peppers by making the decision, which 
again, I'm just going to say it at the time I, I, I had some reservations about, I wish I was even had even more reservations. I wish I was even more vocal about decision to sign Logan Ryan to re-sign a 30 plus year old who doesn't really make in my mind that much of an impact outside of his quote unquote, great locker room stuff that he brings or whatever. But I mean, he's not a bad player out there by any means, but he's not an impact player. He's not in my mind at all living up to his salary and he's only, and they push some of it back. So they have dead cap on it and he's only going to get worse as he gets older in my mind. So they kind of made their bed there. I don't think they can really invest in Ryan and Peppers with McKinney on the contract. And, you know, obviously with Julian Love, the potential re-signing as well, somebody that could potentially look to uh, bring back as part of their future. So I just don't think there's, I think there's probably too many chefs in the kitchen at safety and not enough cap space in general, given their, you know, recent spending sprees and obviously pushing back all these cap hits of some of these other vets. So I don't know. I think that bed's already been made. So for me, it's like, yeah, I'm with you, man. I think Carter Ingram, like, with Ingram, the case is you have no tight ends, but the case is also, is he really even a tight end? Like, I agree there's more value to him than people realize, and a good offensive system and a good quarterback can get a lot of him in the passing game, but he's still always going to be a liability due to his frame as a pass blocker in my mind. I'm sorry, as a blocker in my mind, pass or run, um, specifically run. And I still don't think he runs good routes, and I still don't think he's a hands catcher, a natural hands catcher, and he's not even really good in air. He doesn't have good body control. He doesn't adjust to 50-50 balls well, or high point balls well either. So there's really not too much there, not enough, even with the desperation. And, you know, tight end is a desperate spot in the NFL. There's very few of them. Like, I got to hope Caden Smith comes back healthy next year for sure for the Giants. That's like what I'll be banking on. Yeah, I know. And, and I like Caden Smith, but like, I don't want to put all my chips in the Caden Smith basket. They still need yeah. to look at that position, which is, which is, that's the current state of this roster right now. There's a, there's a lot of holes on this roster. And I still think the roster isn't bad. I don't think this is the worst roster in the NFL but it's the worst team in the NFL right now. Like if you had to be like, yo, is, can the giants beat anybody? I'd be like, I, I don't know if they can do anything offensively to beat it. Jags right would be now. the only team they have any chance against in my opinion. And, and that's, it's like so sad right now. And I say that while saying that it's not the worst roster either. So like, what, so is what that does that say? say about Joe judge? Then what does that say about Joe judge? What does that say about the, the, the offense? Cause I, I do believe that like the giants have strengths, a lot of strengths on the defense, a lot of, personnel that you'd be like yeah i want that guy on my team right. but then you look at the offense you're like oh well there's really nothing there other than andrew thomas that that i want and you know i like some of those receivers and saquon barkley's good but if you're not running the football you know 60 yards for a touchdown and getting six yards per carry per clip then you're not going to score because the quarterback can't do anything behind an offensive line that can't pass block and the quarterback isn't great even behind a good offensive line hmm. yeah you're not wrong on any of this that's the <laughs> That's a conundrum right now for the Giants. It's weird because they certainly don't have the worst roster in the NFL, and they damn well shouldn't. I mean, come on. How many how many top six picks do you need to put together the not worst roster in the NFL? How many spending sprees do you need? They've given this GM three of four spending sprees. So, like, this is unacceptable. Someone be. should make a shirt uh, that says that has a picture of, like, your Twitter face, you know, like your Twitter avatar. <laughs> and then, like, they gave this GM three to four spending sprees. Yeah. Just unbelievable stuff. The free agencies they've allowed him to do, but the exception, exception of 2020, he's just been allowed to just free ball it. Like Martinez, Bradbury, uh, Ryan. Like this just goes on and on this list. Galladay, Jackson, even the little ones, Rudolph, Booker, Solder, Omame, Jonathan Stewart, just spreeing out there. I mean, just like dumping money into, into the cap. And that's fine, especially when you have all those draft picks and a rookie contract quarterback. It should work. But it didn't. Like you said, they can't beat anybody but maybe the Jaguars.
That's so sad. It, it, it really is. But you know what? Back to this game real quick. We brought up the Lorenzo Carter sack. And I, I just want to break that down real quick. It was 11:47 in the first quarter. This was against um, Charles Leno Jr. So that's like an adequate tackle. Somebody that's you know not great, but he's not a terrible one either. And Lorenzo Carter, man, he explodes off the line here. And watch right before he initiates contact, he establishes a long arm with his inside arm to kind of keep his own chest clean. And if you look at how Carter just uses his just power in his lower half to drive through Leno Jr. and just back him up and put him on ice skates. And then once he kind of gets into the pocket and the pocket collapses, he bench presses Leno off of him, sheds him, and then just sacks Andy Dalton as he tries to kind of squeak through the B-gap, man. Like, that's just an impressive play from Lorenzo Carter. That is a one-on-one. I'm going to beat you because I am stronger, quicker, more powerful, and better than you are. And again, I know we just ushered about Lorenzo Carter, but like, I just wanted to kind of break down that play because I'm so happy to see him back healthy and kind of like showing the potential that he, you know, actually had when he came out of Georgia. Yeah, without a doubt. It was a good one to highlight. (laughs) Speaking of potential and players and building blocks right now, I feel really confident about two of them. One of them we talked about in detail on the beginning of this podcast. That's Andrew Thomas. The other one, Xavier McKinney. Once again, it's another week where a quarterback tried to test McKinney and he almost picked him off. Third third and sixth, second quarter, 14 minutes, Dalton tries a deep ball, and McKinney gets to it, gets his hands on it, just misses it, gets broken up. That interception would have been his sixth, and it would have put him uh, number three on overall interceptions this year among defensive players. So I wish he had it for that reason. Um, he's obviously not going to get to one no matter what. Uh, Diggs, has, Diggs for the Cowboys has 11. But, man, oh, man, you 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 can't test him out there because his ball, his ball skills and his – the angles he takes and his ability to break and read and diagnose it's it's really good stuff oh it's great man i mean this is a pre-snap two high look right here and it drops to a one high just man coverage and andy dalton's in empty he tries to hit the slot fade from the number two receiver on the three by two set against aaron robinson he sees the rookie so he's like all right let's test that out right there with darnell mooney our best receiver because Allen robinson disappeared this year and you have Mooney running from inside the numbers all the way sideline. Xavier McKinney is on that same hash. McKinney just easily kind of watches Andy Dalton. And this is like effortless too. Like it didn't even look like McKinney was sweating the fact that he was, he wasn't going to get here. You know what I mean? The only reason it wasn't intercepted was because he kind of contacted Aaron Robinson as he dove for the interception here. If there was any player on the giants that should have made the pro bowl this season. It was Xavier McKinney. And, and he was probably really close. And you know, we said before this season that we were expecting a breakout from Xavier McKinney, and we got it. But I still feel like because the Giants suck so bad, not a lot of people really know how good he's playing other than people who watch the Giants. Yeah, you're damn right. And I guess the only other player who I would probably argue for is Andrew Thomas. But then again, you can't put him over Trent Williams <laughs> for sure, exactly, obviously. Yeah. So it's not really, you know, but he could have been in consideration, I think, as well. Graham Gano, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, Gano. Yeah, for sure. You can put the kicker in. I got yeah, it. He's very I, valuable. I'll give you that. He's, very, he's one of our best players. He's one of our best players. One of, one of our most uh, used players. He's definitely one of the most utilized players. That's for sure. And he does a good job with all of his utilization. All right, Nick. Um, I have a play I wanted to get your take on. I, not really play to break down or anything, but I just thought the 1450 mark of the second quarter, just a great job by Patrick Graham and the entire Giants defense here of completely sniffing out a Bears play design. They obviously probably saw this on tape. They had an idea 
of where the ball, what they wanted to do schematically. And there's just nowhere to go with the ball for Andy Dalton here. It's completely sniffed out by the Giants on this play. So for those of you following, it's the 1450 mark in the second quarter. I've seen that enough. Like I've seen a lot of examples this season and last of Patrick Graham totally fooling and foiling an offensive coordinator's design and his plan and it leading to a negative, an incompletion, a coverage sack. That happened a lot more last year, but some coverage sacks. And just another good example, but, you know, this defense still looks like they're playing really hard for the coordinator, really hard for each other, and they're still really in sync versus an offense that's just completely out of sync and defunct. This is just one example of these things when I see them, and it's not the only one. You see it throughout the tape, throughout the weeks. It's not a perfect defense, but it's still a defense that plays hard for each other and has some really good plays on film. Yeah, absolutely. And this was an easily uh, diagnosed play, I feel like, because it was a unique formation where they had a, a reduced bunch with an H back because that's how tight they were to the center. That was to the field, and it was a play action sprint out to the boundary where they take that H back that's to the field and they they kind of run him into the flat. But before they do that, they use Darnell Mooney in motion in like a jet motion right in front of Andy Dalton. So you have two guys kind of heading in that direction at the snap. So I feel like the Giants easily sniff this out. Jalen Smith, Tay Crowder, each headed in that direction. Tay Crowder kind of latched to number 84, who was coming from that reduced bunch to the uh, boundary side. And it was just an incomplete pass because of the coverage from Jalen Smith, who, you know what I'll say about Jalen Smith? The coverage from Jalen Smith was good, but you know what I'll say about Jalen Smith? He might not always know where to be, you know, and he, he definitely isn't perfect. But he's fast and he's physical. And I honestly feel like he's fun to watch. Do you agree with me on that? Totally agree with you on that. That was the next player I wanted to get your take on. Like, I don't have too many more plays and I want to turn it over to you in that sense. But one player I really wanted to get your take on was Jalen Smith. And I know you just expounded on a little bit, but those, every, every trait you just mentioned, which you see on tape, you don't see necessarily from the rest of the second level guys. You haven't seen enough of it, in my opinion, this season at all before he got here. And it's those are the kind of traits I think you can build on. Those are the kind of traits you want from those second-level guys. And I think it brings energy for the defense as well, for everybody playing there. And so I'd have to agree with you entirely on that, Nick. And then I'd have to ask you, like, what do you, at this point in time, like, how do you view Jalen Smith? Do you view him as a potential starter? Do you view him even as somebody who could be a depth piece for them? Or somebody you want to move on from? Just kind of a one-year rental. Well, ah, whatever, we'll move on from it. Where are you at with Smith? And do you see any potential there for the Giants? I don't think the Giants should rely on him as a starter, but I would love for them to bring him back and have him compete all throughout training camp, get him a year in this system and see if he can relive his glory days from Notre Dame and, and Dallas and as a third linebacker or fourth linebacker since Tate Crowder is there and hopefully the Giants upgrade the linebacker position over him. But let's say they don't get Blake Martinez back. You have Tate Crowder as a second starter and then Jalen Smith, your third starter, possibly could steal some snaps from Tate Crowder. If Tate Crowder continues to struggle down the stretch, I felt like Tate Crowder had a couple of really nice uh, plays in this game. 948 in the first quarter, he shoots the A gap, sees it wide open. He just nails David Montgomery. So I, I really uh, thought like his diagnosing ability in, in that sense was really good there. It's definitely not something that's consistent through his tape, but I wanted to give him his rightful applause for that play. But I would love to have him as a third linebacker, just not somebody, Jalen Smith, that is, that you necessarily have to rely on. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think it's just potential, potential nice find, kind of like the Quincy Roche type. We're not expecting big-time star. We're not expecting breakout, but at least somebody who they can potentially count on if they don't have a chance to address the second level. Because remember, like like you said, we, we talked about, it's going to be a big offseason for addressing needs. There's 
And I like the roster, like you said, it's not the worst in the NFL, but they have the, almost nothing at tight end, almost nothing on the line, and almost nothing at the second level in my mind, with the exception of Blake Martinez, potentially, you know, guys like, you know, Jalen Smith or Ben Bredesen on the flip side on the offensive line, or I guess Caden Smith for the tight end. But they got a lot to do. They've got a lot of work to do. They might not get to it all. They don't really have a free agency to work with for the most part. They'll be able to do some little things there, not much. They have a lot of draft picks, but they also have a lot of needs. And again, these are just rookies. They can't be counted on to immediately play starter roles. So, yeah, man, definitely interested in anything they can get out of guys like that. What else did you want to talk about uh, defensively or touch on? Well, man, coverage uh, got the best of the Giants defense on that fourth and two, which sucks because they got eight yards on the third and ten. And this was when the they were only up 7-0, so it was the first quarter, 8-14 left. And Matt Nagy rolled the dice on fourth and two and went for it. And I like what the Bears did here because they watched the film. They know the Giants use a lot of man coverage in these situations, these goal-to-go situations, these third and four type of situations. This is a fourth and two, but like a third and short or a fourth and short. So they run just a bunch of horizontal crosses here. They have a five-man protection. They run Damian Williams out of the backfield to kind of suck up Jalen Smith a little bit. They run out of a bunch formation. Jimmy Graham, who was on the line of scrimmage in the bunch, they run him into the inside shoulder of the covering defender and kind of picks two defenders. So Jimmy Graham, just essentially his route, quote-unquote, just eliminates two giant defenders. And then the other two defenders run two horizontal crosses. One of them beats and gets inside leverage on Aaron Robinson. The other one has to get picked up by Tay Crowder and a bunch of underneath defenders who have to pay attention to him because the original covering defender was picked by Jimmy Graham. So now nobody is uh, helping Aaron Robinson out with underneath coverage because they're supposed to be zone defenders who are just taking the crossers. Now there's not there because they have to help out the defender who was picked by Jimmy Graham. Easy touchdown in the back of the end zone for Darnell Mooney. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly right on that one. I mean, there's going to be lapses, I think. I, that's what I kind of mentioned. I felt like there were times where Nagy got the best of Graham and just in general, this defense, especially when you consider, you know, like, again, he's not the worst quarterback in the in the NFL right now, Dalton, but I don't think he was that good at all in this game. I mean, the Giants exposed him last year in week 17, um, and there were just misses from him. But, yeah, like you said, there's going to be lapses. Uh, anything else specifically defensively you wanted to touch on? I know Jerron Williams, his – uh. His snaps were scaled back with the Dory Jackson coming back, but I thought two minutes left in the second quarter. So at the two minute warning, it was going to be a touchdown, probably with a better throw. It was a first in 10, but Jerron Williams did a great job kind of getting back to the catch point, getting his hand in to disrupt the Goodwin touchdown or what would be touchdown in man coverage on that play. So it's good to see Jerron Williams, even though he's not starting right now with the Dory Jackson back, still consistently making plays for the New York Giants. Yeah, just another example of the Giants. Doing a good job, it seems, at developing defensive backs. Um, we talk about coaching and player development. We talked a lot about that actually a couple weeks ago with Carl Banks and Bob Papa. And I think that those are examples of it. When you see players like Jerron Williams who kind of picked up off the scrap heap, even players last year like Isaac Yadin, who they traded for, obviously they traded away, but they felt like they had upgraded that position and didn't need him. Um, but yeah, just one of the positions they do a good job of developing. Absolutely. Another play that, like, I don't know what the heck Andy Dalton was doing whatsoever was the play action pass third quarter, 236 left, first and 10, where they ran play action. Darnell Mooney, because the Giants bite on the play action so hard, Darnell Mooney is sprinting in the middle of the field with no one around him. And I believe it's Dory Jackson bailing back to try to recover because he bit so hard on the run. And then you have James Bradbury covering Allen Robinson on a dig. And for whatever reason, Andy Dalton throws the dig route when Mooney is wide open on the horizontal cross, like wide open. 
And I was like, what the heck is Andy Dalton doing? He throws it right to James Bradbury for an interception. And it's just Bradbury being in the right place at the right time. But I have no idea what Dalton was doing on that play. Yeah, that was weird for sure. And I, obviously, I don't really know. The ball placement there was just so bad as well. Yeah, it was it was it was horrendous. It was it was out in front, but James Bradbury ran the was dig in route front of him. Yeah, <laughs> it's so weird. He ran the dig route for Allen Robinson. Yeah. Like Bradbury, that was a great play. And Bradbury's still a really good cornerback, in my opinion. I'm not low on James Bradbury. I think James Bradbury is who he is. He's not somebody who's going to be great in man coverage. He's not somebody who's going to be great deep. But other than that, he's one of the better cornerbacks in the National Football League. I also felt like the Giants ratcheted up the the pressure in the second half. They started bringing more blitzes in the second half than they did in the first half. I felt like the Bears adjusted a little bit in the second half, started using a lot more RPOs because of the more pressure that was coming. I felt like they were using more RPOs. They were getting the football out of Andy Dalton's hand very quickly when they decided to throw the football. I thought that was interesting. It was just a nice little chess match between the two teams. And one more thing I wanted to bring up, Woodrow Hamilton. Now, what a freaking name. That is a presidential name right there from number 90. He utilized the bull rush on a guard from the Bears, and he ran through this dude's face. And I just wanted to bring this up. This guy did not play that many snaps. I think he played nine snaps for the Giants. I know I have it in front of me, but I think it was nine. And his name was Woodrow Hamilton. And it was a great rep, and I put it on Twitter. All right, I'm done. Yeah, no, no, it was a good rep, and I, I like that you called him out for it. And 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 mention, you know, it is a very presidential name, Woodrow Hamilton. All right, that's all I have on the defensive side of the ball. Anything else you wanted to touch on before we wrap this up? No, nah, I'm good. All right. Well, thank you to everybody tuning in for these all 22s and for all our podcasts. It's almost the off season. We have a lot coming, a new GM, new GM search, potentially a new head coach, players who will be cut, potential quarterback rumors that I'm sure the Giants will be involved in knowing John Mara. Lots to talk about. And then obviously the draft. Just like last year, our plan is to do the same thing. A podcast a day in April, every single day leading up to the draft. We have even more things planned, and I can't wait to get into all of it. We'll probably start in March, honestly, because the free agency is not going to be as crazy as it was. So thank you to everybody tuning in. I appreciate everyone who's taking the time to leave iTunes ratings and reviews. We do read them all. I read them all. Um, all the haters, you can suck it. You guys suck. That's all I'm going to say, because your hating is unfounded and all just BS crap that you isn't going on a little, little soapbox here. But for those of you with constructive criticism, we got a really long one from uh, my boy in Maui, in Maui, uh, Maui, Hawaii. And in within that long review, there was a lot of critiques of myself that I liked reading because I learned from them. Those are the type of critiques I like. All the crap about me being too negative, that stuff is just kind of bullshit, to be completely honest with you. It's from the same people who troll me on Twitter. I know it, but... Uh, to Maui Giants, thank you for that long review you you wrote out there. We re I read the whole thing. Um, and in it, you said, don't apologize for being negative, which I guess some criticize because you're right. I'm not going to apologize. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.